Spring has sprung in our region, from tulips in the Skagit Valley to a fresh dusting of pollen just about everywhere else. There's always such a rush of optimism when the cold, dark days of winter in the Pacific Northwest yield the random weather days of spring. Will it be sunny, warm, cold, rainy, windy, some other adjective? All we can say is our colleagues in meteorology truly help improve the perception of accuracy for us economists. You found yourself in another edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. It's here that you'll find an ongoing conversation about our Puget Sound regional economy. We record this podcast about one month after posting our quarterly forecast and report as a way to expand on the report, but also to engage in some further discussions. These same discussions we have, fortunately, in our office every day. Today is April 12th, 2023, as we hit record. Depending on when you're listening, material, material information may change from what we talk about. We encourage you to listen with a questioning ear on what may have shifted. On deck today for this economic dive is Dr. Hart Hodges, an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works with the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Cam McKenzie rounds out the talent portion of the show today. Cam is our research designer and contributes to the forecaster with a variety of articles and the retail section. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the report. I would be remiss in not acknowledging the many people that work in the production of the quarterly and monthly forecasters, both inside and outside of our research center, and we always appreciate all of their contributions. One of the most intriguing aspects of this work to me is considering the shifting landscape ahead and the many, well, too many most of the time, aspects that could dramatically impact the forecasting work. Influences from international, national, regional, public sector, private sector, and sometimes the fantasy sector of social media all seem to be moving in different directions all at the same time. Being clairvoyant, I'm going to impose our audience questions on the panel today, and let's see if we can get to the bottom of all of this. There seems to be a lot of media ink spilled these days related to real estate. Bethany, can you talk to me about what exactly is going on with residential real estate? I've seen recently that Zillow and Moody's have drawn very different opinions on what the national market is doing. What's really happening nationally and how does it connect locally? So just to summarize, Zillow is forecasting prices to stagnate, if not slightly increase by half a percent this year, whereas Moody's is expecting prices to fall about five to 10 percent. Note that this would still mean that prices are above pre-pandemic levels, but uh, Moody's is expecting prices to come down um, in the coming months to, to the coming year, whereas Zillow is expecting uh, stagnation. I would have to say that I lean more towards Moody's predictions, but either way, I think everyone's in agreement that this isn't some massive housing market crash, despite what some realtors are are saying. We're definitely going to see prices um well above pre-pandemic levels, that's for sure. So what we've seen um, in the data is that West Coast cities are leading the national average. So for example, the Seattle house price index fell 2.9% in quarter three, then fell 3.6% in quarter four. For the US, prices grew in quarter three, whereas they only declined by 0.8% in quarter four. So what we're definitely seeing a greater impact in our region than in the U.S. overall. However, uh, Seattle's probably just leading the U.S., and we can expect to see further declines in the U.S. in the future. So in general, I would say that uh, regions that boomed the most over the last three years are going to be the areas that we can expect to see the most declines, Seattle being one of those areas for sure. But the fate of the housing market rests on two things, one, mortgage rates, and two, inventories. 
You know, speaking of inventories, Bethany, so I've read that uh, our state legislature is looking at some pretty significant zoning changes around the state, um, allowing for much denser uh, development. Uh, do you think that's going to impact the market? Is that a long play? Is that a short play? What do you think? It's definitely a long play, right? It takes time to build these things. And so that the changes that James is referring to is allowing duplexes and quadplexes. And I think there's a limit on the number of units, but allowing multifamily in what is currently zoned as single family. And so there's a there's a couple issues there. So one is people have to want to build it for it to exist. They're not, you know, the state isn't just creating housing. So people have to, uh, investors have to want to create that housing. So housing permits were extremely strong in 2021 and 2022, and we did see them come down quite a bit. So that means we've got a lot of inventory in the in the pipe, so to speak, right now. So I guess we're going to see what happens because if inventories do continue to increase, that's where we'll see prices continuing to fall. But let's just keep in mind that inventories are somewhere around 10% of what they were in 2006. So inventories are extremely, extremely low, and it would take quite a bit more inventory to have any fundamental uh, crash in prices. Excellent. Okay, so that's that's some some good fodder to think about. Hart, I want to pick your brain here about commercial real estate. So I've seen reports that the commercial real estate sector has signs of sluggishness. That's one of my favorite words, I think, for the day, sluggishness. What's your take on the local market? What's going on in commercial real estate? And what's what's going to be the long-term uh, approach to, as I think about what that market's doing? Well, I'm going to cheat first and piggyback on something Bethany said, because you know the inventory question is a tough one. And you've got a number of homeowners who might have a, a mortgage at two and a half percent. Do I sell or do I keep that as a rental? Because I might be able to generate some income. I, I, I throw that out there, might be able to generate some income and offset some of the higher mortgage on my, my new house. I throw that out there because there, there's a lot of factors that are going to come into play on where we see changes in inventory and where we don't, uh, which is why we're getting differences across Zillow, Moody's, and so on. On the commercial real estate side, James, you said sluggishness. I'm looking for a word that's more worrisome. As we look at the amount of in-office work, right, the, the, the castle indicators are suggesting that uh, a lot of cities are still at 50% occupancy in, in their buildings downtown. Uh, some cities are going to be lower than that, especially the tech hubs where working remotely is easier. Um, you know, when you think about the um, amount of money close to $3 trillion in commercial mortgages that are going to have to be renegotiated by the end of 2025. And that's not very far away. You know, that's, that's, that's a lot of mortgages. They're going to have to be renegotiated with half the people in, in them. That puts pressure on the, the commercial market. It's a, it's a challenge for regional banks. You know, what might change that? I think we're starting to see back to work orders from businesses that that could breathe some life in, into it, but uh, it's going to be a curious stretch because the labor market is still favoring the employee. Uh, they still get to say, no, I'd like to work no more than three days a week in the office. So it's, 
you know, the commercial real estate is going to be a fun one to watch. The, the, the grand experiment, so to speak, with hybrid work is going to be wandering through that that market. You know, Harry, I, I saw an article uh, yesterday, I think it was, that uh, the Wall Street Journal had done some some work with some Indeed data that is seemingly to point that some employers are, instead of allowing people to work remote, they're allowing them to be outsourced to other countries in those professional jobs because they can't find the qualified people in the United States with a tight labor market. And I'm sure salary points come into that discussion at some point, although not referenced. Well, I would, yeah, I would, I would love to see some of the data by industry sector, right? Because there's some tech, tech companies that can't find the skills that they want in the domestic workforce. So they're, they're looking elsewhere. Meanwhile, there are other jobs and businesses that are, they're laying off because those jobs are, are easy to replace. Uh, it, a lot of this is a lot more nuanced. It would be nice to see it sliced by location or industry or or other factors. The irony, right, of uh, we want people to be back in the office. Well, the office could be in whatever country, right? I mean, it's 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 an interesting time to no. be uh, looking. No, at and data. and you know what's what's going to happen with office space conversions, right? That these these stories all get linked and, and send us down a lot of different rabbit holes. Yeah, no, for sure. So, Cam, I saw an article recently declaring that the must-have economy is in decline, I, I believe is what the headline said. Consumers are reining in their spending. Um, what's the latest on consumer confidence and consumer activity? Well, as we're beginning to exit the pandemic mentality, I think a lot of people are kind of returning to more outside lives. And so the economy is going through another huge period of creative destruction. Some of the things that we found valuable when we were staying at home, like a Peloton bike, or a Blue Apron meal kit uh, no longer have the same interest to a lot of consumers. And inflation has also pushed a lot of consumers away from that extra spending. They've been reining in their finances to spend on convenience or service offerings instead. So I think most consumers are very aware of the continued inflationary conditions that our economy faces and the continued rate increases by the Fed. The lack of recent inflation numbers also sets the stage for an additional rate hike. And so I think that's reflected in the consumer confidence Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index dropped another five points in March from February's um, slight recovery. And so consumers expect that we'll be doing better than pandemic conditions um, and that type of recession, but purchasing is likely to continue to trend downwards from January's high. Um, recessionary sentiment is shared by all groups. Lower income, less educated, and younger consumers generally have darker perspectives on forecasted business conditions, but even the top consumers with large stock holdings have expressed declining economic confidence. Inflation forecasts have dropped to 3.6, which is the lowest rate since April 2021, but there's still a long way to go before we reach those pre-pandemic target rates again. For sure. And I saw today uh, the latest uh, inflation data came out, and it's it's still rather sticky, shall we say. It still has not come down uh, as much as we thought. Part, I also saw that the Atlanta Fed has downgraded their GDP now forecast for the last, I don't know, three, four or five weeks. Um, it's now down to 1.5%. And uh, I'll throw you a bone here and say that's an annualized forecast number. So you can you can, you can can talk about why that number might not be fair. But I keep hearing very conflicting talking points on this front, like recession's imminent. And then you get, we're never going to have a recession and rate cuts are imminent and we're, we're going to have to increase rates. It seems like people are hanging their hat on one metric in a complex world here. Am I right? No, I think you're right, James. That people are looking for simple answers when when there may not be any. You know, somebody will say, uh, 
oh my gosh, uh, I need to lock in my rate for for my new mortgage. Uh, tell me what the Fed's going to do in May, and I'll decide whether to lock or not. And it's not so simple. And how people are digesting all of this is a, is a challenge. I mean, Cam just mentioned uh, you know some declines in consumer sentiment, some some reasons to worry, but what the heck? Stock market's up, you know. So there there you go. I I think uh, it's it's challenging as we as we look. Uh, ahead, uh, so the the GDP now forecast is what do we think the economy is doing now? And, and the Atlanta Fed is is dropping their numbers. That tells us the economy is slowing. Uh, I, I think we we knew that, but uh, the question is how fast is it slowing? How much is it going to slow in the end? Will it will it slide into a recession? Uh, people are going to hang their hat on one metric there as well. You're going to have people say you can't have a recession if unemployment's below five percent. You know, it's it it's more nuanced than that. We had a lot of spending in 2021, you know, late 2020 through early 2022. We pulled forward a lot of spending. People bought laptops and computers and furniture and so on and so forth. Um, it's partly that Pelotons aren't as exciting when you can get outside. It's also also true that if you have one, you don't need a new one this year. So the, there's going to be a slowdown for a variety of reasons. One reason, inflation. Another reason, I bought it yesterday. Uh, I also had pandemic stimulus money. My student loans been on a, 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 on forbearance. Right? So I, I've had money. Some of that's going to stop, or some of that money's been spent. I think we have to have a, a cooling off, a slowing down. Whether we're going to call it a recession is going to be a debate because of things like unemployment, because spending is still strong. So it depends on what metric you look at. I'm going to say recession, small r. Uh, I'm going to get in an argument with some people about that. Uh, definitely a recession for folks in the lower end of the income spectrum. They're, they're already maintaining some spending by using credit cards. That's not going to last too too long. Meanwhile, we've got the Fed. James, you mentioned that inflation is a bit stubborn, sticky, whatever word you want to use, persistent. Fed's likely to raise another quarter point in May. That means less lending, right? So we've got all this slowing, but the part of the reason they're raising rates is because people are still spending and you've got that tension. But I, I think for, for some who got a lot of PPP money, um, who had built up a lot of equity in homes and so on, it, it's it's still, things are seem fine, right? That's the no recession crowd. Uh, you've got others who, as soon as their student loans kick back in and they they look at their credit card bill, it's different, different story. So I think people are looking at the economy in different ways, they're experiencing it in different ways, and it's a lot more nuanced right now. Uh, data are getting revised. Some of the survey data, Response rates are low. You know, it's just a lot more uncertain about what we're talking about, and, and no one really wants to have that conversation. They want to be told it's good, it's not. Let's move on. You know, Hart, you commented there about participation rate in some of these surveys being low, and I think that that bears drawing out a little bit more for our audience because the uh, the various ways we collect data, and I'm going to say we we as a country collect data. Is there's a lot of survey work that's done. The, the federal government does a lot of surveys with businesses and and individuals. And they are categorically coming back and saying, you know, we're, we used to have 70 some percent response rate. We're now getting 30 percent response rate, which which means that, you know, that margin of error, that uh, ability for us to feel like those numbers are good 
we're likely to see more ups and downs in some of the data, right? We're more likely to see uh, the, the forward-looking data not necessarily matching up very well with the backward-looking data. Um, so on that happy note, Bethany, I want to talk to you about manufacturing. I've seen some charts lately about some pretty massive investment going on by manufacturers in the United States. Can you talk about a little about what's going on? What's underneath that? First, I want to talk about if we remember back to 2021, that big infrastructure bill. Yeah, so that's all starting to happen, right? We're getting all this new infrastructure in the United States, clean energy and uh, transportation infrastructure and things like that. And so that is making manufacturing in America much more, much more attractive. So we're starting to see large amounts of private investment in U.S. manufacturing for a number of reasons. But one of those reasons is if we go back to the start of the pandemic and we had all these issues with the supply chain um, and which we still have a lot of these issues. So this has led companies to want to diversify their manufacturing processes so that they are less prone to risks, especially risks from China. So this is not this is not a, you know, reviving American manufacturing uh, out of the goodness of our hearts. This is this is a profit driven endeavor that uh, Many private companies want less risk, and less risk means uh, building up your North American manufacturing so that you're less prone to having just uh, shutdowns in, in China uh, disrupt your supply chain. So we've got lots of new construction happening. Lots of new things are being built. The one problem that we're seeing now that's slowing down some of that is uh, rising interest rates. So that's starting to be problematic for some of these large manufacturers is having trouble securing loans. And that's also limiting the smaller manufacturers that might not be able to afford those higher interest rates. You know, the irony is not lost on me here, Bethany, that we're seeing this pretty significant investment because of stimulus, essentially, right? I mean, through overt government action, we're seeing this, the CHIPS Act, for example, uh, is causing pretty significant with the batteries and those kinds of things. So Hart, didn't we get into trouble with stimulus before? I thought that was a bad thing. Can you can, uh, Is this a good thing? On the one hand and on the other, right? You, you've got, uh, is a stimulus a good thing? Well, if you, if you look back at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, ab absolutely. You know, people losing jobs, everything closing down, the, the amount of money that was pushed into the economy, and I think especially the speed with which it got into the economy was amazingly helpful uh, in, in the number of the number of, of businesses that that were able to stay afloat uh, and, and people with losing their jobs. So on the one hand, sure, stimulus is fantastic. Uh, on the other, uh, what, what happens to that money over time? Uh, how inflationary might it be? How effective is it really? Or how expensive uh, is each job shared? You can ask some questions. And I think we're looking back now saying, whoa, that was a lot of stimulus with the pandemic. And uh, well, I guess it was a bit inflationary and, and that's making the government's job or the Fed's job harder right now. The Inflation Reduction Act with subsidies for chip manufacturing and the like is also going to have some good things. Right? When you think about the strategic importance of chips and so on. So, yes, good. But again, how how inflationary or how effective if every politician is, has tacked something into that bill? Uh, it, it may not buy nearly as much as we're thinking. So you you get to look at it from both sides and then go have a beer. I think it's going to be fascinating down the road because there's all kinds of provisions in there. You're obviously right. Like there's a child care provision. They have to provide child care on site yeah. or, or in your right. 
So I think later, I think NBER will have a, a very interesting report that will inform my question in a few years. All right. So Cam, anything you want to add about the retail forecast, current conditions? Well, according to recent data, February's retail numbers were flat or declining compared to January's spike, um, the same as other confidence. And so most forecasts, forecasts expect a continued slight decline in retail spending. One piece of data that kind of stuck out to me from the most recent was a 2.2% decline in service and drinking spending, um, because generally we saw gains in service spending um, and increases in food and beverage and general merchandise stores indicate that there's another round of belt tightening and people are swapping back to making their own food instead of going out for it. You know, Cam, I saw an article this morning about how college drinking is way down as well. So I'm sure that's behind it. I, I will have to dig into that a little more. We'll do some, we'll do some research. All right. Housing and construction. So Bethany, we've talked around housing and construction today a lot, but anything we've missed from uh, what you're seeing in the forecast? You know, there's some funky stuff happening, right? With interest rates being higher, with the housing market supposedly crashing and burning. Um, we've got some funky stuff. So um, one thing is that we have actually in the Puget Sound, so I just uh, was doing the monthly updates, and we've got half the inventories that we had in October. We were expecting to see inventories start rising as demand for housing fell, but we've got half as much inventory now as we did in October. And then the other funky thing we're seeing is that housing permits are actually picking up quite a bit. So we are not expecting them to be as high as they were in 2021, 2022, but they've picked up quite a bit. So interesting things are happening. So keep an eye on those. Awesome. Art, I gave you a very interesting challenge with this last uh, edition of the forecaster. I asked you to write an article talking about the positive things or things that you saw that were positive going on in the economy. Do you have any further thoughts on what you uh, published? Yeah, you made me write a one-armed economist article. I wasn't fair. One thing I didn't stress in the article was here we are talking about a slowdown, but it's a slowdown because we binged. We we consumed a lot. We spent a lot. We have a lot. That slowdown is just getting us back to normal. And it might feel uh, a bit recessionary, but it's not because uh, the bottom has fallen out. We're talking about trying to get the economy back to lower inflation. We have jobs. We have a, a lot of growth. I mean, you, you mentioned that the Atlanta Fed is is lowering its GDP now to, to 1.5. That's still growth, right? The, the blue chip forecast last winter was calling for contractions in the first and second quarter of this year. We're not seeing it. The economy is still growing. People are still working. We're still seeing a bit of wage growth. So I, I think, you know, it, it's not all doom and gloom. So in the 100 acre woods, it's not all yours. That's good. Okay. I'm just trying to keep it, you know, accessible for our entire audience. I'm not sure how we do in the younger younger demographics, but we'll, we'll work on that. All right. Looks like we have successfully run out the clock here on another edition here of the uh, of our podcast. But Bethany, can you is there any you mentioned the monthly updates uh, a minute ago, but is there anything else that you're looking forward to when I look at a chance to read those? Yes, we've got more funky stuff. So um, this there were some changes to how retail data retail employment data is collected and just generally changes to how employment data is, is collected. So if you noticed that last month that the monthly updates came out a little bit late, that was because of data revisions. 
this month again, things are a little looking a little funky, but definitely settling out. So keep an eye out for those. And then, of course, we also have the real estate index, which comes out next week. So there's lots to talk about in construction and real estate. So keep an eye out for that. Awesome. Well, that brings us to an official close of this edition of the After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media. All the articles we referenced today are all there on our social media stream. You can go back and check all those out. But our social media portals give you a front row seat of reading over our shoulders, which is a little bit of a yoga move, on a daily basis. And you can also learn about other ways to connect with us. You can always reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu, or by email, cebr at ww.edu, with questions, comments. Or if you're interested in having us come talk to your favorite event, we're out back out talking to, to folks live and also by Zoom on a pretty regular basis again. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We, as always, we have huge props to our amazing producer, Jill Poon with KDMC. She makes us sound much better than we sound in real life. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you just happen to listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, we hope you have a great day.